Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert, and I am here once again to discuss a topic near and dear to my heart with my most excellent colleague and tremendous wound healing guru, Dr. Millicent Ravello. How are you doing, Dr. Ravello? I'm doing okay. Thank you. Thank you for asking. I am a wound healing expert. I've gotten lots of wounds to deal with <laughs> recently. Thank you for reminding me. None of my own. None of no, my, I understand. Not from my patients, but as plastic surgeons, we are wound care experts. Yes. We actually are, not being facetious there. So we do get a lot of questions from our colleagues on, on how to treat wounds. Yes, we do. But we will leave that out of the discussion today. That is not the topic of this podcast. <laughs> no, because I don't want to have a, uh, I don't want to have a disturbed and deranged Dr. Ravello here <laughs> after a discussion about wound healing. So we will skip right to blepharoplasty. Much better. That is such a nicer, cleaner topic. I can get on board with that. So blepharoplasty comes up a lot where. It's interesting. We're you know we are plastic surgeons, but the ophthalmologists do blepharoplasty also. What is blepharoplasty? We have not not defined that term. So blepharoplasty is eyelid surgery. Mm. It's a, the changing of eyelids, making typically taking skin out of the upper eyelids and some fat, um, either repositioning fat in the lower lids, taking some out, tightening the lower lids. There's a lot that goes into blepharoplasty. It's not a not a brief topic. No. Um, but it's interesting because I always have patients ask me like, do you do that? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> of course I do. I'm a plastic surgeon. Yeah, that's sort of part of our gig. Kind of, kind of a lot of our gig. Yeah. Um, there are ophthalmologists who go on to become oculoplastic surgeons who do a lot of it, who, mm-hmm. are, who are very, you know, some are more talented than others, obviously, same in plastic surgery. Yes. But eyelid surgery has to be something that you're comfortable with because it's tricky, it's tricky. It is not so simple. It's not just cutting out a little bit of skin here and there. Sometimes it can be that simple, but there's a, you know, as you would expect, the eyelid anatomy is quite complex. So there is definitely an art and a precision to it. I think the oculoplastic surgeons, I think that's like a two-year fellowship for them. I mean, obviously they do their whole ophthalmology residency, which I believe is four years. And then if they want to go on to do oculoplastics, which is surgery of the eyelid, they do two whole years of it on just the eyes. So yeah, it's, it's complex and it's definitely a very unique part of the face. And the reason that it's tricky, and I use that, that term because you have to understand how to make a diagnosis mm-hmm. when it comes to lower lids. And when people say, oh, I want to get my eyes done. I think we've talked about my friend who came in like pushing on his neck saying, yeah. I just need to get my, my eyes done. Mm, those aren't your eyes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's called a, uh, well, for a man, it's a neck lift with an upper facial extension. <laughs> but, they'll, but getting your lids done means typically um, we're talking about taking some uh, skin out of the upper eyelids and also taking some fat out possibly. Uh, we take less and less fat out lately because people want the fullness. You know, you don't want to have that, you know, skeletonized kind of... Very 80s look. Back in the 80s, <laughs> they would hollow out the upper eyelids. And so you, you know the look. It's like that soap opera star look in her 50s who's oh. just got those really hollowed out 
eyes, it's usually because someone did upper eyelid surgery on her and took out a lot of the fat that was in it because the thought was that that fat would bulge forward and kind of create this, you know, bulging effect around the eye. But in reality, that bulging effect around the eye is actually a sign of youth. And when you take it out, then you start getting more of an aged look. So when you're talking about blepharoplasty or eyelid surgery, you know, it's usually divided into upper and lower. And they are two totally different surgeries. They can be done together, but again, anatomy is totally different and, and the goals are usually quite different between the two. Yeah, and the way you approach it is totally it's different totally also. totally different. Um, the first thing, though, is you have to make a proper diagnosis as to why that person is standing in front of you saying, I kind of want to get my lids done. Because a lot of times it's not just the lids, it's the cheek, it's, mm. it's the, you know, the fact that they're like polar bear syndrome where their cheekbones are behind their eyeball, um, which is common. And you have to kind of really understand, do I need to be moving the lid? Do I need to be thinning the fat? Do I need to be repositioning the fat? Do I have to lift the cheek? For the upper lids, do I just take out skin? Do I want to take out some fat? Also, does this person have ptosis, droopy eyelids, um, which is pretty common. Very common, yeah. And if you miss the ptosis, as I tell people, ptosis is when the eyelid is droopy. And you can tell that because the lid margin encroaches. It comes down over the, the pupil, the, the pupil yeah. or you know the iris itself. And uh, I say... If you don't see the ptosis before you do the surgery, you're definitely going to see it after. See it after for sure, yeah. because once you take the skin out and change the the fat, the the droopiness is going to become very very pronounced. Obvious. A lot of times when patients have that ptosis, it's it can be congenital, but usually it's related to age and the upper eyelid muscle, which is supposed to hold the upper eyelid open, is weakened, and so the upper eyelid starts to droop down. When it's in combination with excess skin of the upper eyelid, it can be tricky to diagnose and see the difference between the two. And if you only take out the extra skin, now the patient no longer has to work as hard to keep their eyes open. They used to have to really work and strain that muscle to keep the extra skin off their eyes. And when that extra skin's gone, they no longer have to work as hard. That's when you really notice that ptosis and the drooping of the eyelid because now it's no longer being compensated for. So that is certainly something that when I see, I just send straight to an ophthalmologist, oculoplastics guy. Um, we were trained to do ptosis surgery in my residency, but I just don't do it enough. So I would prefer to have one of those guys do it because they do have to do all their fancy eye exams and you know check other things when they do the ptosis surgery. But if a patient doesn't have ptosis and just comes in with excess skin of the upper eyelid, you know that's a more straightforward procedure for yeah, the uppers. I agree, and I, I don't do the ptosis repair either. I think that that's, uh, that's a little too specialized yeah. in terms of um, managing the aponeurosis, managing uh, the levator muscle itself. Those are things that you want somebody that's doing them all the time. Right. Now, if it's just straightforward blepharoplasty, I do that all the time. Right. Um, I do, you know, upper lid blepharoplasty. I do lower lid blepharoplasty. I love lower lids from a diagnostic standpoint and how to make them look really nice because a lot of times it involves a cheek lift. You know, you can't just do the lower lid as you found out yourself that uh, you really need to lift the cheek with it. Otherwise, you're not going to see, you know, that bag get reduced. Right. So I think let's talk about both of them separately. So upper lids. Okay. What's your approach? Upper lids, I look first at 
um, the skin. I look at the fat. I look to see, do I see the fat pads? And typically, you know, I have them close their eyes. I look at the skin then. I have them look up. Um, I, I really want to see that if I take the skin out that it's going to look nice. You know, because the whole reason to do it is because you want to look good. You know, you you know they didn't say like, oh, I I need less skin. They say, no, I want my eyes to look nice. Yeah. So I, if there's not enough skin, I just say, you know, you got to wait on it. Maybe they need a brow lift instead. Right. And that's usually kind of part and parcel is you have to figure out, well, are your eyes looking smaller? And is the skin encroaching on your upper eyelid because your brows have dropped? And so you really have, that's the same thing too. If you only do a blepharoplasty and you ignore the brows, the brows will get worse. Because again, the brows are compensating for the extra skin by raising and lifting high. Once that extra skin's gone, then they just drop. And that's when you really, now the patients are like, whoa. I look look even worse. (laughs) I look even more tired and angry than I did before. Yeah, I rarely do a a upper lid bleph without a brow. I mean, it's pretty rare. On guys, I can do that um, because men don't really need their brow elevated most of the time. But on females, it is, like you said, as soon as you take that skin out, now all of a sudden their brow is down. They look really, really angry. And then not only do they look angry, but they are actually actually angry angry. at me for just doing the blepharoplasty without the brow lift. And so that blepharoplasty, the skin incision, is typically done through an incision that's hid in your natural eyelid crease. And depending on the amount of skin that you have, sometimes it has to go out a little bit and angle towards the upper brow. But talking about the brow lift with the blepharoplasty, I will do some of these under the insurance dollar because on certain occasions, if it is actually the extra skin is impairing your vision, your peripheral vision to the side, insurance will cover this. But they, right. will, never, yeah. they will never cover a brow lift. No. And a lot of these patients that get approved for the blepharoplasty don't want to pay out of pocket costs and so they won't do the brow and that you are so right if you just do the blepharoplasty and someone that needs the brow it just gets lower and lower and then you can (laughs) never take out enough skin to get that skin off their upper eyelid no and also the lid compensates for the from the brow it steals skin from the brow Mm -hmm. so you have to yeah i mean um by the way the insurance uh coverage comes if you fail the visual fields test Mm -hmm. they do a taped and untaped test you have to fail it you can't everyone's like oh i can trick the test i was like you (laughs) You can't can't trick the test this is the test where they like flash lights in your eyes and you click the button when you can see it and so if um you can't see out of your periphery then you're not going to be clicking your button and then they actually literally tape the skin of your eyelids up and you repeat the test and they see what you can see with your eyelids taped and there has to be a 30% improvement right then insurance will cover it yeah but insurance doesn't pay anything on that stuff too it's like you know like insurance coverage is like sure we'll pay it here's 90 bucks yeah (laughs) it's just awful it's not much so yeah but I I tell people if they want to get reimbursed they certainly can I mean it's not uh, that's not um, um, the way I do it now it's just the, the, the reimbursements are so minimal it just doesn't make any sense I don't want to get into the insurance. No, that's... Let's leave that in the dust. Maybe we'll do that one next because I have some thoughts. Okay. (laughs) We always have thoughts on that, (laughs) which is we hate insurance companies. Um, So, yeah. So, that's my approach on the uppers. I typically do it with the brow. I take out some fat, typically not a ton, 
Um, but I take out some to make it look nice. And the problem is, is that after you do an upper lid blepharoplasty, they swell and they don't look great for quite some time. Even at six months, there's still going to be more scarring and more reduction in what's there. So you can't really judge that result for about a year because there is going to be more hollowing and more loss of volume in the orbit when you do the upper lid blepharoplasty, even if you don't even do much to the fat. Yeah. Those stuff, they will, you will look better. Patients look better right away. But the swelling in the eyes especially can take a long time. Right. And so away. patients are always saying like, you didn't take enough. You didn't take enough. And it's like, we did take enough. You be, be patient. patient. You don't want to look. I don't want to call this guy out. I'm not going to call him out. But it's, there's a certain sportscaster. His eyelid surgery is so bad. I can't even stand it. And he's like an amazing sportscaster. But somebody just like hollowed him out. He looks like he has skin stretched over his eyeballs. Yeah, you want to be able to close your eyes after the surgery. To be fair, the first week you may not be able to close yeah, there your eyes. Might be some lag ophthalmus. And that's, that's just because muscles closing. have been damaged, there's lots of swelling. It's not uncommon. But after a couple weeks, you know, your eyelids should be able to mostly close. And if they can't, you know, sometimes you can get problems with dry eyes, which is an issue and it, it can cause problems. So um, a lot of people have dry eyes to begin to, with. A lot of people have dry eyes and they don't realize it. And the surgery can definitely make it worse, especially in that initial healing period. Yeah, dry eyes are common after blepharoplasty. Yeah. So if you have dry eyes to start with, get some extra tears and restasis or whatever you need because it, it is really, it, that lacrimal gland shuts off when you do this operation. And it's not even that you take the lacrimal gland out or anything, but just from the swelling, it gets inflamed and it doesn't, doesn't produce tears like it's supposed to. It takes a while to heal. Takes a while, and and at nighttime your eyes are open because they're not closing all the way. Yeah. So you're spending most all your whole night with your eyes partly open for a couple of weeks. So yeah, they dry out. So that's the uppers, and then I know you you're like you're really itching to talk about the lowers. I can tell. No, I love the lower I know. lids. It's really because it's a it's an area where people have a lot of complaints. Yeah. But I don't think you should take a lot of fat out of the lower lids. They if they have festoons which are big bags of fat, that's one thing. Then you're talking about skin and fat and all kinds of things. Like those, you know, those big bags that just look like, they look like they're like rescuing somebody off a mountain or something hanging from a helicopter. <laughs> you know, those bags. That is a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Yeah, the, the festoons. Festoons, a whole nother it's deal. a whole nother podcast. But Let's just talk about like normal people. Talk about normal people. So <laughs> when people come in for their lower lids, there's usually two or three main complaints or or concerns that I see. One is someone who might otherwise be on the younger side, doesn't have a lot of extra skin, but just has these bags under their eyes. And typically that is fat herniation. So the orbit inside, <laughs> inside the eye has fat and usually it's kept in place by what's called an orbital septum but in patients where that septum is weak or for whatever reason not particularly strong which can happen congenitally or over time the fat protrudes out from the lower lid and you see that as a bag or a bulge under the eye and a lot of patients think oh it's just because you know i didn't sleep well the night before or i have allergies and my eyelids swell all of the above are totally true, and that can definitely contribute. But sometimes there is an actual fat component to it. And these are patients which maybe in the past have been treated with fillers to camouflage it. Um, 
which can work in a certain subset of patients, but ultimately the treatment is to remove or reposition that fat. C. C. Um, the other group of patients that you're going to see are patients that actually have hollowing of the eyes mm. themselves. And that whole different animal. Whole different thing. It is, you can, may have some fat component to it, but what you're really seeing is that the skin and the soft tissue is falling off the bone, the lower eyelid bone, and you're seeing the actual outline of the bone and the ligaments that sit below the lower eyelid. This also is treated commonly with fillers, but that is not a great solution. No, and, and you know, what do you think? I, I know what you're going to say. You're gonna, I don't want you to punch me, but um, what about tear trough implants? Have you ever put those in? I have not. I put in several sets. They're not easy, um, but they really look great. Mm. But they're just really hard to do. It's a Michael Yaramchuk thing. That would make me very nervous. I don't like the yeah, idea. It's just a tough area because the skin's yeah. thin and, you know, I love doing a cheek lift and fat grafting the cheek. I don't like to fat graft the lid because that never works well. No, but the cheek has more soft tissue coverage and you can sort of camouflage that fat. Yeah. But you have to do something to address that hollowed out visible rim. And that's where the lid lift or the cheek lift comes into play because you got to reposition the, that tissue and... and correct that hollowing well and that's the thing like when i do an endoscopic mid facelift i release all along the infraorbital rim like i usually go through the the lid release the septum orbitale which you talked about that orbital septum decide how much fat has to come out or whatever release 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 and then from above with the endoscope come down on the cheek and then release across through that rim again and and get the entire cheek mass to elevate which looks awesome. It looks amazing. It does. <laughs> I love it. It's a great operation. And uh, it really takes care of the lower lids. But that, like, when you start talking like that to people, they come in, oh, I want to get my eyes done. You start talking about, like, making cuts in their, in their sca- scalp, yeah. up in the hairlines, and coming down with an endoscope and lifting their cheek. They're like, I just want my like, lids done. Dude, I, I just like, my lids. I yeah. know, but that's how you're going to look great. Yeah. So that, it's so true. And, and it does look great. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it right now and it looks really great because it's it's nice not to have that bag there. Yeah. Yes. So can you get the endoscope and do that to my face because I need that <laughs> something awful. Like I do. It's like it's getting really bad. And the other thing that you have to take into consideration once you've sort of addressed the fat, figured out what to do about the hollowing, the last question is what do you do about the skin of the lower lid? Younger patients, yep. not a whole lot. Older patients may have a little bit of extra skin, especially when you start pulling things up and back into position. Um, and so I like to do just a little, you know, skin pinch technique where you just take a tiny little strip of skin right under the lower eyelid in patients that need it and then zip it shut. Um, very minimal. I certainly do not get crazy with skin excision because this is an area where too much is really too much. And what about um, canthoplasties and canthopexies? Are you, are you a fan? I am. So this is where you would actually fasten um, the rim of the lower eyelid, that um, tendon there, to the soft tissue or the bone of the the outer part of the eye. And I do that in patients, usually older patients, that have some laxity of the lower lid. 
maybe they already have a little bit of descent of that tendon and this just puts it back in place because certainly in the healing period and anytime you mess with the lower eyelid you're going to get some scarring in that area and it'll pull that tendon down more and what you don't want is to see white below the colored part of the eye in the lower lid so you have your iris which is the colored part and in the lower lid you shouldn't see any white below that. If you do, right. that's called a tropium. So well, you, no, that's called scler- not, not tropium. scleral <laughs> show. Scleral show. And so you have to do something to the lower lid tendon to make that not happen afterwards. Yeah, if the, there's scleral show and then the next level is that tropium where the lid starts to pull away from the globe. And, and that's that can usually happen. For, from scarring or for yeah, whatever it's reason. It's not good when that it's happens. Not good. That's a big problem to fix. I'd rather just address it ahead of time before it's a problem. Yeah, so if they're snap, we do this thing called the snap test where you yeah. pull the lid away from the globe and you see if it snaps back quickly or slowly. Yeah. When they snap back slow, you got to either you do a do canthoplasty or a canthopexy. A pexy is when you take a stitch, put it through the tarsal plate, which is the, the thickened, cartil- like almost cartilaginous part of the lower lid, and tack it to the orbital rim, to the bones of the rim. The canthoplasty is when you actually disinsert the the canthus the corner of the eye that's called the canthus and you you drill the bone i put stitches through it and it's a it's a big to do i used to do that a lot on my mid face lifts Mm -hmm. i I did a lot of mid face lifts through the um through the the like a little canthal incision i still do it when i do fractures and stuff like that but i found cosmetically it was better to do it from above I, i would get an okay result that way but now with this endoscopic thing and endotines and all that is, is like awesome to do endoscopically. So that's lower lids. Not not simple. Not just getting my lids done. No. And, and yeah, people say it like, you know, it's like, I'm going to get new hair, hair colors. <laughs> no, getting your lids done is a big deal it's if it's done deal. right. It is a big deal. And there is a tremendous healing component to it, which takes time for sure. Um, you're not going to be wearing your contacts for quite some time. You're going to have to do some care with the post-operative eye drops and ointments. And yeah, it's, it's a bit more of a process than just, yeah, getting your lids done. Yeah. I mean, the complications that can happen are, are, are pretty infrequent, but I think they, there's more with like the brow and the mid face with, you know, temporary neuropraxias and things like that, where the nerves aren't working very well after, I mean, so you have to kind of go over all that before you sign up for these operations. But, you know, when done safely and properly, even if there are problems, they can be managed very easily. But most of the time there are not. And uh, the results can be pretty spectacular. So let's talk real quick before we finish about the quad bluff. Doing upper and lowers together. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how you do it half the time. You know, Patients always get concerned, though, that they're going to have the rounded eyes that you see in old school blepharoplasties when patients got the upper and the lower is done together. It's almost like the corner of their eyelids got sutured together. <laughs> so that does happen. It's not that they get sutured together. No, it's they just don't get sutured the, together. just that the incisions are close by. Yeah. I avoid that by doing my lower blefs transconge, uh, you know, going through the inside of the eyelid. I don't do a whole lot of skin resections on lower lids. I think that it makes for problems and it doesn't look great. And I'd rather, you know, zap it with a plasma laser or, right. or something else and, and just, you know, it, this, I don't find that the skin's the big problem. I think it's redraping of the fat and lifting the cheek. So 
I, I, that avoids getting the eyes to round out and get smaller. Um, I don't have a lot of problem with that. Cause yeah, I, don't, I haven't I don't seen that, that um, in recent years, but I, a lot of patients I've seen that are older tend to have this kind of rounded look. Well, that's because they did the subciliary uh, blepharoplasty. Yeah. And then they did the the uppers the upper too close. Their okay. the incisions are too close by, and so when they scar in, they it's going to make that makes the eyes smaller, and it, and you see it over and over again. I see it a lot more in men than in women, though. Mm. The men it shows a lot. You know, these guys, you know, in their late sixties, have these like little squinty eyes. It's not good. No. My eyes are already too small. I can't have that that problem. <laughs> I can barely get contacts in my eyes. The aperture is too small. <laughs> But um, maybe you need a brow lift. I I need something. I need I need help. Is what I need. We've established this. Yes. I know. I don't know what I'm going to do it, but something something's coming down the pike. Well, I think that's it for our bluff discussion. I think we hit it. We talked about the even the canthopexies and uh, canthoplasties, and then also the brow lifts and cheek lifts that kind of accompany each of the the lids. And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I do these a lot with facelifts. I mean, so I'm like if I'm doing a face and neck and doing the the upper, you know, upper lids, brow and all that, it's it's good to do it all in combination because then you can create harmony, have people look like rejuvenated in one fell swoop. Yes, agreed. Cool. Well, I think we hit it. So anything else, Dr. Ravello? Nope. Then this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Coming to you from the 90210. Thanks for listening to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. If you want to reach Dr. Ravello or myself, we're available for consultations. We can also be reached through the websites. Dr. Ravello, what's your website? My website is RovelloPlasticSurgery.com. And the phone number to reach us here in the office is 310-954-1355. And I do want to mention Rock Spa, which is the sponsor truly the financial backer of this podcast and rock spas the medi spa that's located both in newport beach and beverly hills providing botox fillers lasers microneedling esthetician services like hydrofacials we have incredible people they do great stuff and i highly recommend taking a look at the websites rockspanewportbeach.com or rockspabeverlyhills.com all the information is also on my website drcalvert.com